morning, saints. Hope everybody's doing good out there. That was a perfect song. I love it. For to Jesus we surrender all. Man, we learn to be a living sacrifice for his glory and his glory alone. It's a quick prayer, and we're going to be in Galatians 4, 4 through 7. Today I want to talk to you guys about our adoption into the kingdom, what that means for us. And also, as a family, the unity that we should have with one another as the church. Uh, So let's pray. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you speak. And I just pray that you open up ears today, that you open up hearts today, that you open up eyes, Lord. Remove every distraction that may be entering into our lives at this moment. So that we can just hear your voice clearly, Lord. I am here to be used by you. I am nobody, Lord. May the focus always be on you, Jesus, for you and you alone are what matters. I thank you again for this opportunity. Just give me peace and grace to speak to your children, Lord, and just keep us united the way that you wanted us to be. In Jesus' name, I pray. All right, family, Galatians 4, 4 through 7 is where we're going to be reading right now. And it says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Galatians 4, verses 4 to 5 alone are a central a gospel statement as we can find in the scriptures. When it states that the fullness of time had come on God's perfect timing, God sent forth his son, born of a woman and born under the law. He came to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And this is what we're going to talk about. God also didn't have to use the concept of adoption to explain to us, you know, how we're saved. He didn't have to. He could have simply kept it as part of his family as he did in John 1, verses 12 to 13, where he talks about the natural children of God. He says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So we see... You know, this natural birth here in this verse, and God could have definitely kept it that way, but he decided to talk to us through his word about our adoption. And adoption's a little bit different. You know, I'm going to give you guys five key points. So five points on our adoption, what that means for us. I want you guys to follow me close, take notes if you're taking notes, and just let God talk to you today. So number one, the first thing I want to talk about is the cost. What was the cost of our adoption? Let's look again at Galatians 4, 4 through 5. It says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. To redeem simply means to obtain or to set free by paying a price. You know, and what was that price that God paid for our liberation and our adoption? Well, that price was the cost of his son's life on the cross. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 
For as it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. That's Galatians 3.13. You know, without Christ's redemption, we would not be God's children. Instead, we would be children of wrath. We would be dead in our trespasses, and we would be destined for eternal punishment in hell. Ephesians 2, 1 through 4 talks about this. It says, you were dead in the trespasses of your sin, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body. Oh, Jesus, thank you. I'm sorry, you guys. And we're nature, by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So thank you, Jesus, for your death on the cross, for redeeming us, finding us worthy to be your children. Number two, number two, our legal status, our legal status. Again, Galatians 4, 4 through 6 talks about this. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, because you are sons, this is our legal status. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We are sons and daughters of God. Listen to me here. There were legal realities that God had to deal with. His own justice and law demanded that we be punished and excluded from his presence for our sins. Righteousness was required. <laughs> Payment was due. God had to satisfy his justice and his law in order to adopt sinners into his family. Right? He did this by the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And because of what Christ did, we are sons and daughters of God now. We are part of the family of believers. We are the church. The veil has been torn and we no longer need someone to go before God for us. No, saints, we can go there ourselves. We can go directly to God as our father and spend time with him, pray with him, and be in his presence. It's amazing. Number three, we are also blessed by the outpouring of God's spirit of sonship. Again, Galatians 4, we're going to look at verse 6. It says, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Look also at Romans 8. Romans 8, 15 to 16, it says this. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And God doesn't leave us in a condition as aliens, you know, when he adopts us. He doesn't leave us with no feelings of acceptance or love. Instead, he pours his spirit into our hearts to give us the experience of being embraced into his family. How amazing and beautiful is that? Another thing I find remarkable about this is the word Abba. Did you guys know this is an Aramaic word? I had to ask myself when I was reading this is, why in the world would Paul use this word, Abba, in these two letters that were written in Greek? It's an, you just throw in a random word. It didn't make sense at first. But then it hit me. 
It's very simple. The answer is that this is the way that Jesus spoke to his father. That's it. In spite of the fact that no Jewish man in the culture at the time would dare refer to God with this word, Abba. This is a very endearing word. It is meant to inspire love and affection. But no, he, Paul included it because this is how Jesus spoke to his father. And we can now do the same. In Mark 14, verse 36, when Jesus is in Gethsemane, he prays. He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Therefore, in adopting us, God has given us the very spirit of his son, and he grants us to feel the affections of belonging to the very family of God. Number four, moral transformation through the Spirit of God. Moral transformation through the Spirit of God. Again, let's look at Romans 8, verse 14. It says, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. God doesn't leave his children without help to bear this moral image of the family. You know, instead, he, the Spirit, helps to transform each and every one of us into the image of Christ. We can see that in 2 Corinthians 3.18 where it states, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Spirit helps us to renew and to transform our minds. You know, we can see that in Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4, 23 to 24. It says, to be made new in the attitude of our minds, to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So this, with the spirit within each and every one of us, this should change our morals, our standards, the way that we behave, how we interact with people. It should affect every way that we live, act, and see the world. We should see it accordingly to, through the eyes of Jesus. We should see everyone with love, consideration, you know. But in truth, we must also speak to them with grace and just let them know. Number five, we are also have the rights of being an heir. Galatians 4, 6 through 7 again says, Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Look at Romans 8, 16 through 17 again. This one states the same. It says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So think about that. We get to actually share in the inheritance of Jesus. We have a future and a hope. Hebrews 1, 2 tells us, but in these last days that he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. You know, the kingdom of God awaits each and every one of us. And how glorious it's going to be, saints. It truly is. Look at 1 Corinthians 2.9 tells us that what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. How beautiful. I love you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We look forward to this hope. This is our future. The kingdom of God awaits us, saints. While we are here in this temporary homes, 
as the family and children of God, called the church, we are supposed to be united. Go with me to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 13, verses 11 to 14. This is where we're going to talk about unity. Second Corinthians 13, 11 to 14 says, finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In these verses, we see that Paul is stressing and emphasizing unity. He says, aim for restoration. He tells us to comfort one another. He tells us to agree with one another and to live in peace so that the God of love and peace will be with us all. Verses 12 and 13 are also very interesting because Paul uses greet one another and he also uses all the saints greet you. These two greetings are stressing unity in the church, not only locally, but universally, worldwide, we are united by the Holy Spirit. We are one church, one body. There is only one Christ, and he is the head of that church. When Paul refers to with a holy kiss, this was reserved back in those times for special reunions with family members. You know, it was used as a formal greeting. This was so that the entire group that participated in this public kiss was unique. It signified that they were family, that they were accepted, that they were one, on, one and the same. It showed everyone else around them that they were united together. You know, being Cuban, that we, we still do this now. When I go visit my family, even the men will kiss each other on the cheek, we'll hug each other, you know, because we're family. And you can see that in some cultures still today. It's a beautiful thing. Paul ends this letter with this amazing Trinitarian quote also. In verses 14, he stresses that the grace, love, and fellowship with one another comes from God and Christ through the Spirit. He states this, he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, speaking of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. We see our holy God in Trinity. Paul again says, with you all, putting a final emphasis on unity of the church. He brought this about by God himself. You know, this is one of the main goals of Paul's letter here. This should be our goal as well as the adoptive family that we are in Jesus Christ. You know, unity is very important, saints. It's so important that the devil literally makes it one of his main attacks. His goal is to divide the kingdom because he understands very well Jesus' words that a kingdom divided cannot stand but will fall. Luke eleven seventeen says, but he, speaking, Jesus speaking, says, knowing their thoughts said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. A divided household falls. Let's go to John 17. John 17. Did you guys know that Jesus prayed for all of us? Beautiful thing. He did. We're going to read about it right now in John 17. And one of the biggest things that Jesus prayed for us was for unity. John 17, verse 9 is where it begins. The prayer for us, the church, the believers, the body of Christ. It says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom I, 
whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine. I am glorified in them, and I no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given to me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Here we can see the unity. You know, all in Christ belong to the Father. He says, we are all one as the Father and Christ are one. Let's continue. Verse 12 says, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy, have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Here we can see Jesus literally praying for us to be protected from the evil one. Verse 16 and 17 say, They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth, for your word is the truth. Jesus is praying for us to be set apart in truth. He's asking the Father to make us pure and holy in him. Verse 18 and 19 continues, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they may also be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. This is where Jesus prays for all the future believers. He says for you, he's praying for me, for you. It's awesome, it's amazing, it really is. He says, also for those who will believe in me through their word. Let's continue. Verse 21. That they may all be one unity again, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. And here we can see the purpose of our unity and oneness is to be the example of Christ to the world. Verse 24 continues, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. I don't know about you guys, but that's truly encouraging to know that God himself prayed for each and every one of us. You know, we can see the importance of unity in these verses stressed and emphasized. Jesus speaks about it, and he prayed for it, for us to have it. So I'm going to go over six quick points just to emphasize this importance of unity in the church. The number one point, the main one, is Jesus prayed for it. <laughs> so Jesus prayed for it. John 17, verse 23 says, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. That's the first half of that verse. So if Jesus prayed for unity in the church, it's got to be important. We've got to take it seriously. 
He prayed that the church would follow the example of God the Father and God the Son. What do you guys think? What could be the primary reason for this unity? I think the second point that we'll make here is going to help answer that for us. Number two, unity is necessary for the most effective presentation of the gospel. The second half of that verse, John 17, 23 says, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you love me. So notice how this kind of unity is tied to the spreading of the gospel. It says, then the world will know. I believe the church that is unified around the mission of spreading the gospel will model the kind of unity that the father and son have. I also believe that Satan knows that the best way to keep the church from fulfilling that mission is to get people arguing over non-essentials. This kind of disharmony causes the church to become inward focused and we start to lose that evangelistic passion that we should have for the lost. Number three, unity is necessary and it comes from the power of God. Second Chronicles 30 verse 12 says, also in Judah the hand of God was on the people to give them unity of mind to carry out what the king and his officials had ordered following the word of the Lord. When God's hand is on his church or on a group of people, his power will rest upon them. The power that is necessary for unity of mind and purpose that is needed to fulfill God's plan. A church must not focus on minor things. Our focus should always be on Christ and Christ alone. Too often we get divided over these things that don't matter. They're minimal. We get caught up in so many small things that we lose focus of Christ. This should never be, church. I also want to say this, though. I don't want you to mistake diversity for disunity in any way. Because we can be wonderfully diverse while being totally in harmony over who we are in Christ Jesus. If God created over 400,000 different species of beetles alone, why wouldn't he want his churches filled with unique personalities and abilities, all united to reach people? Each and every one of us is unique, and we all have unique abilities and qualities. We should be using those to build up the church and to reach the lost. Number four. Unity keeps the church body growing, maturing, and working at its fullest potential. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 tells us, Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts from one body, so it is with Christ. Ephesians 4, 3 tells us, Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of of the fullness of Christ. So some Christians think that spiritual maturity is achieved through just amassing knowledge, right, about the Bible and just knowing the scriptures. But keep this in mind that spiritual maturity is not just knowledge-based. It is achieved through obeying what the word of God tells us to do. Obedience is going to be where we truly grow spiritually. Remember, saints, it's very possible for people to have knowledge and never truly know who God is. And this, this is truly sad. So I just want to encourage you today to seek him, seek to know him. Allow the Holy Spirit to give you knowledge and wisdom. Let's grow together in the knowledge of God. Let's grow together in our relationship with God.
Let's love him with all our hearts, minds, and souls, and love our neighbors as ourselves. Get to know God. Don't just know his word. It is important to know the word, but it's equally and probably more important to know who God is. We get to know him through his word. Obedience. Obedience is where we grow. Let's obey what he tells us to do. Number five, unity flows from love, and love unites the church in its mission. Colossians 3.14 says, And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Without love, there is no unity whatsoever. You know, this love must be focused on Jesus, and it has to be received from Jesus. There's no other way to keep harmony or to stay on the mission. You know, if, if we don't love one another, it's going to divide us. We're not going to stay united. You're not going to want to stay around people you don't love. It's, it's just natural to want to flee from that and find someone you do love. We're going to start getting concerned with ourselves and our own growth, and we're going to stop caring about the church, and this must never happen. We must care about the church, even if we don't agree fully at times, and there's things we can disagree on. We still must love each other in the love of Christ, and we must stay united. We have a mission, and unity is part of that. We are a family together, united as one, even through our differences. Number six, and the final one, unity keeps Christ at the center instead of us. Ephesians 1.10, the second half of that verse says, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So it's not about you or me. It has always been and always will be about Jesus. My plans, my desires, my preferences, my agendas, my feelings are nothing compared to the gospel. When we become unified around that mission, of spreading the gospel, it will change everything, and it'll change everyone around us as well. The psalmist said it perfectly, I believe, in Psalm 131, verse 1, where he said, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. So to conclude, I'm going to sum it all up and remember these things, saints. Remember what Christ did for you. Remember the cost. Remember who you are in your legal status. Remember that the family you belong to and the family that you now represent, which is your sonship through the Spirit. Stay focused. Walk in the Spirit. Be transformed morally and also claim your rights. Become the children that God has called you to be. I also want you to remember that Jesus, our Lord, prayed for us to be united as one, you know, and united in him through his Holy Spirit. Our unity is necessary to give a complete and proper presentation of the gospel message. Remember that God's hand and power will be with the church if we stay united. He will empower us to complete his will, for unity flows from love, and that love should unite. It should unite us and help us to grow and to mature in Christ. We must keep Jesus at the center of all we do. We have to. I love you all, brothers and sisters, and may the grace and peace of Christ reign in our homes, in our workplaces, and in our churches. Be blessed, and let's just go out there and be the church that we were called to be. Let's be the light in the dark that unites and is united in Jesus.
and the love of the brethren. Let's pray out. Father God, I, I thank you for your words today, Lord. As we leave this place, I pray that we will all leave with an obedient heart, Lord. That you will bring conviction where conviction is needed. That if we are slacking in any part, Lord, that you will help us to see the error of that way and that we will return to the right path. That we will allow your Holy Spirit to just conform and transform us into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to love the lost. Help us to walk out our faith, Lord. May your Holy Spirit just bring the power that we need to preach the gospel, to preach truth, to stand on the rock that is you, Jesus. Keep us united as one. I thank you again for your life, your death, the resurrection, for redeeming us, for coming into the darkness and pulling us out and showing us light for calling us your sons and daughters. May we learn to live as the family that you have called us to be. Again, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that though while we were sinners, you still came for each and every one of us, and you are still calling to those who are lost. Open up hearts and minds and prepare them to receive you. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Amen.